0: What's up, sports fans? It's time for Let Me Speak. I'm Joe Braverman, and on this show, we discuss the big news in the world of sports, as heard from me, myself, and I. Here's what we'll be talking about this week. Who will win the Fall Classic? A World Series preview with the Rangers and either the Phillies or D-backs. Plus, after Week 8, were there any changes among the top and bottom 10 in the NFL? And, a preview of the new NBA season with a special guest you're listening to episode 91 of let me speak let's get things started let's hit that intro 2021-2024-2023 24 2023 for the 91st edition of Let Me Speak the countdown is on people we are that much closer to number 100 it's i'm just so looking forward to it to 100 but we've got 91 right here and we've got a jam-packed episode for you we've got some NBA to talk with you we got a special guest lined up for that one you don't want to miss it plus we've got our NBA or sorry our NFL Power rankings between the top and the bottom 10. But first, we got to get into some baseball because there's nothing better in sports than to hear Game 7. Game 7 is one of the most exciting things. I had the distinct uh, joy to go to a Game 7 Celtics and Bucks in 2022 in the TD Garden, the semifinals, and the atmosphere was just amazing. Absolutely amazing. So to hear Game 7 in the American League and National League Championship Series, oh, you know my attention is going right to there. And this is, it's kind of tricky because the ALCS is done, and by the time this episode comes out, the NLCS will be done. So basically what we're going to do is look back on the ALCS and then give a preview uh, between the either the Rangers or the Phillies or the Rangers and the D-backs. By next week, we'll have a full World Series preview cuz they will have been a couple of games already in. So the timing is a little tricky, but we're going to treat it like two different World Series matchups are going on. But what we know now for sure is the Texas Rangers taking down the Houston Astros in 7 games for their first World Series since 2011. And I got to got to be honest, when I was watching that ninth inning and I heard all of the uh just the comeback and the rebuild that this franchise has gone from. This was a team that was pretty much in the cellar for years and years. Only two years ago, they lost a hundred games. Only two years ago. And the fact that they build this roster of they hand out first the last offseason, they give two big contracts out to Corey Seager and Marcus Simeon. And obviously, the new general manager that they had, Chris Young, who's a former pitcher, must have told these guys, hey, we are coming. We're getting ready to contend. So 2022 is not going to be a good year. But hang with us in 2023, 2024, and beyond. Because that will be the difference. And sure enough, Seager and Semyon bought in. They've got a tremendous young core of uh, Josh Young, Nathaniel Lowe, uh, Adolis Garcia, who we'll get to in a little bit, but you have that. Then you bring on these big names out there, like um, getting a contract to um, big name pitchers, like a Nathan Evaldi. Another trade with Jordan Montgomery. You bring in Max Scherzer as well, and not only that, but you just have the perfect manager, the perfect manager, in Bruce Bochy. This guy was absolutely perfect for the job because he's won three times with the Giants. He knows what it's like to turn a franchise around. And there's no doubt in my mind that any other manager besides Bruce Bochy would have gotten the team to where they are. And um, just now looking at the game itself, as they do, and as I've said week after week, when we talk about the Rangers and how well they do in the postseason, they get clutch starting pitching. I mean, when they were down three-two, uh, still uh, going into Houston, you have two big names to get out there. In Game Six, you've got maybe the best postseason pitcher in the last five years in the MLB, in Nate Avaldi. He goes six and a third. He's got five hits. Two earned runs, four walks, and three strikeouts. Was it not his best? No, but when it came down to that moment, the bases are loaded, and the Rangers are just barely holding on to that lead, Ivaldi comes through in the clutch. As I said, again, the best postseason pitcher in the last five years. You needed that. And then, even though you didn't get exactly what you wanted from Max Scherzer in Game 7, he gave you enough. He went two and a thirds. He allowed four hits. He also gave up two earned two walks and struck out two. So they're not looking for dominant Max Scherzer. They're just saying, hey, keep it close. And sure enough, that led to Jordan Montgomery coming out of the bullpen. He gives you two and a third scoreless innings on three hits. And we even heard in the the post game on the field in the celebration, Montgomery was saying, hey, I am ready for this. He knew he was going in and he had the right mentality for sure. So the pitching, More so, the starting pitching was absolutely huge, huge for the Rangers. And then their backs were just really inconsistent against uh, Houston's starting pitching. But I think what we saw in this series was the birth of a new superstar. And that's Idolis Garcia. He gets the series MVP because he had 15 RBIs in seven games. Let's rewind that. 15 RBIs. In seven games. That's unreal. Absolutely unreal. And then put on top of that. All the power that he's had. um, All throughout uh, the season. And the series. You know. no, I don't think anyone expected. I know at least me personally. I did not expect. To hear Adolis Garcia. Be this big time player. But look at this. He's got 327 as an average. He's got seven homers. Um. This dude is a star, and he's going to be a star for the Rangers for a very long time. He was the key factor in the Rangers bats waking up. And yes, he's a he's he just turned 30 this past March, but this is a guy who's gonna be a star, and he's gonna carry the Rangers for a couple of years now. I will say though, the one thing that does concern me is that he is very lucky. I mean, I shouldn't say concern, it's it's a little bit eyebrow raising is the fact that he didn't get suspended during that benches clear uh, during game five. Of course, he gets hit by uh, a Bray and the benches did clear. He did get ejected, which makes you think, OK, was was that the reason that the Rangers lost game five? I mean, hard to say because it took a ninth inning go ahead, Homer for Altuve. so obviously with a guy who's got that much flair and that much power, he's going to play with a little bit of emotion. So I I think he's very lucky that he did not get suspended and that he's going to play in the world series. Um, You know, let's just keep that in mind. Um, But if, as long as he stays on the field and he's not getting tossed, this is a guy who's a star and he, I'm sorry, but he is the power. He is the power for Texas. I mean, considering the home runs and the clutch home runs that he has in. I mean, just look at everyone else. He doesn't have the best average uh, compared, you know, Corey Seager's got the best average at 333, but I mean, he's got seven home runs. How about this? Semyon has none. Lowe has three. Jonah has two. Young has three. Seager has three. Okay. He is the power threat for the Texas Rangers. And when he gets going, then you have everyone else going. So, I think if Garcia can have a good series uh, when we get to the fall classic, then the Rangers are going to be a favorite, but we still don't know who it's going to be. We don't know if uh, we will know, uh, or at least I don't know right now, but by the time this episode airs, as I said, it will either be the Phillies or the Diamondbacks as they are getting ready for game seven. And I gotta be honest about the NLCS. I can't put my finger specifically on what the heck has allowed Arizona to have played the way they have to force a game seven. Because, I mean, when you look at their regular season stats, they're basically in the middle of the pack, in pitching, in offense. I mean, it's always going to come down to starting pitching, without a doubt. I mean, they got a great start last night from Merrill Kelly. But the fact is, is that that Philly lineup, they rely so much on their power game. And when their big power hitters, like Schwarber, Trey Turner, Bryce Harper, Castellanos, without their power, offense goes nowhere. You know, as much as you want to give respect to Brandon Marsh and to JT Real Muto, um, they just don't have the power. Without the power, they're pretty much nothing. They really are nothing. And we've seen in this series how much the bullpens have struggled. I mean, we saw how many home runs has Craig Kimbrell given up in this series. So... I I honestly could not tell you who will win Game 7. I would give the advantage to Philly because it is at home field, but Game 6 was won in Philly by Arizona, so they're not afraid of the moment. I do expect Philly's rotation to uh, come out, and I do expect them to get off to a hot start because obviously, yes, Aaron Nola lost in Game 6 but uh, when he allowed back-to-back home runs, but I think the starting rotation will come through and they're going to have to play their best because the starters have to go a distance. They got to go at least five or six innings because yes, both of these bullpens are struggling. Um, Considering how either of them would fare up against uh, Texas, I would say probably the more difficult matchup will be against the Phillies because they have the stronger starting pitching. And we saw um, once Texas gets to the bullpens, then they're good. So it's really I think for either team, whether they play Arizona or whether they play Philly, getting off to a hot start on either side will be crucial for the final three that are left. If you get off to a hot start and you take advantage of those starters, whether it be uh, Montgomery or a Gray or an Evaldi or a Scherzer or on the other side, if you have a Nola um, and a Wheeler or for Arizona, if you have a Zach Gallon or a Merrill Kelly, I think you get off to that hot start, you're in a big, big advantage because then you have i would say less than average bullpens uh between the two i mean i give my props to leclerc for the rangers um i i don't know i don't know i mean i can't pinpoint who will win game 7 of the nlcs yes, but i would predict that the phillies win it and we'll see a rangers phillies uh world series between those two though i mean it's almost like looking in a the mirror they've got Almost the same amount of lineup, like same power in their lineup. They've got the same talent in starting pitching. Maybe the Rangers are a little bit more deep. Um, and the bullpens are are not ideal. But, I mean, I couldn't tell you. I could not tell you. I mean, talk to me when we get uh, to our next episode next week. I mean, maybe the series will have already been done by now because someone will have swept it. Um, <laughs> I, I couldn't tell you there. But, honestly, I this has been a fun postseason. This has been a really fun MLB postseason, you know, some incredible games. I mean, that Friday between the, uh, the walk-off win with Arizona and the go-ahead from Altuve in Houston, that was great. It's been a great postseason, and we'll see a new champ, and it's, it's going to be kind of fun and refreshing. You know, it's not just going to be the Braves and the Astros and the Dodgers over and over. You know, maybe Philly gets the redemption, or maybe Arizona puts their stamp on it, or maybe Texas – gets ahead of their rebuild and wins it all you know it's kind of just a wait and see and that's kind of how i like to enjoy my baseball so it'll be fun to watch but of course everyone's talking about the nfl we've got our power rankings and our bottom rankings coming up next as there is quite a bit of action going on in week eight Move on to the NFL, and as we do every week, we look at our top 10 and our bottom 10 in the power rankings. And we start, as always, we do with the top 10. And there was a lot of shuffling, I gotta admit, maybe more shuffling than when I first started this uh, a couple of weeks ago. You know, I had to really think about it, looked at all the matchups, but I do have it down to 10. And once again, we have a new team in the number 10 spot. Uh, Not necessarily new in terms of, you know, they've been because they've been here before, but just for this week, I put a new team in the top 10 and I'm putting the Seahawks in there after getting a win over the Cardinals uh, 20 to 10. And, you know, you could afford not to play Metcalf, uh, DK Metcalf versus Arizona. And Geno Smith just continues to uh, be consistent. And I think that's what Seattle is going to be. They're going to be a consistent team. They're not going to blow you away with maybe 500-yard games on offense or whatever. They're just going to be very, very steady, a very steady team. And that's what Geno Smith did. He went 18-24, 219 yards, and two touchdowns. The interception and the fumble does concern me. What I do like, I talked about uh, last week or a couple of weeks ago, I think their defense is uh, very underrated. They continue to get better and better uh, as they're now statistically just outside the top 10. I look at the running game because, of course, like in the modern day for the Seahawks, the run game has been absolutely huge when you have Marshawn Lynch. Uh, we have a guy named Beast Mode out there. I think Kenneth Walker is a very underrated running back, and he was used very efficiently. He carried the ball 26 times, and he got 105 yards out of it. It's a little bit concerning, but I think that's a very underrated talent going around right now in the NFL. So I like I like what Seattle is doing, considering – how the NFC now is all kind of jumbled. You have, you know, the Lions in their uh, bad loss. Yeah, the Niners go down as well. You know, they're kind of just like hanging around, hanging around being, uh, you know, just kind of being steady there. They're they're going to make the playoffs. They're going to be a wild card team just because they're staying true to who they really are, regardless of if it's Russell Wilson or Geno Smith. They're staying who they are. So I like what Pete Carroll has done with this team. I got to put them at number 10. At number nine, this had to be maybe the biggest drop uh, in terms of teams in the top 10. And that's the Bills. I mean, now going to four and three, you lose to the Patriots, uh, an offense that basically looked lifeless. You know, the fact that they gave up 364 yards to them. I mean, the defense is hobbled. They continue to be hobbled. I mean, last week they were without uh, Ed Oliver on the defensive line and they let New England just run all over them. Um, but when you get, you know, to the secondary, again, no Tradavius White. They're still working Von Miller back. Um, no Matt Milano. So I think the injuries were finally catching up to the defense, but more so I'm looking at Josh Allen. I mean, he's still I he's still one of the better quarterbacks out there, but me and Andy Hart talked about it during the game. He just didn't look like himself. He was missing throws that normally he makes. They were about a yard or so ahead of Steph Diggs and Gabe Davis. I mean, he put up some big numbers 27 to 41. He had three touchdowns. Uh, he carried the ball seven times for 17 yards. But again, this is just a theme that continues to happen with Buffalo is putting too much on his plate. I mean, in terms of plays, the team ran a total of 65 plays. 41 of them were pass plays, and 24 of them were rush plays. So once again, You know, guys like James Cook and Latavius Murray aren't going to be able to bail out Josh Allen, and he's going to have to do so much. When he is staying in the pocket, he's going to have to make these throws on the run. He's going to have to scramble. And no one game plans, at least for that kind of stuff, better than Bill Belichick. He finally got the upper hand of him. But just something about Buffalo, you know, looks off. I mean, when you consider their three losses you know you lose to you now lost to the patriots you lose to the jets and even outside of that third loss you only you just barely hang on against the giants 14 to 9 and you almost give that one away so i'm a little concerned with buffalo i'm i'm concerned with buffalo i still think they make the playoffs but you know now they're a couple of games back of the dolphins okay you got to keep in mind yes they got a break with the dolphins losing to the eagles but Still, that division is not as wrapped up as we initially thought. So I think there is some concern that Buffalo isn't going to win the division and that they're going to have to settle for a wild card. And they might get bounced early if they continue to play like that. So that's the biggest drop for me is Buffalo losing to the Patriots has them for me at number nine. Uh, Number eight, I'm going to put the Jaguars here because they did win Thursday night against the Saints. But again, it was the Saints. And there are concerns because they had a 24 to nine lead. They got a late touchdown. um, And their defense right after I praised them, gave up 407 yards. Um, But they did make new Orleans go two for five in the red zone. So the defense I think is going to be one of those bend don't breaks. They're going to allow a lot of yards, but when it gets to that sort of red zone area, they're going to be able to hold off. And Trevor Lawrence did gut it out. He was a little bit shaky coming into the game. He had a, uh, knee injury i believe but he made the offense look good um running gaming wasn't exactly where it was um they put up points on the board they just they were able to take advantage of uh the field position um the fact that they were able to go back and forth and get that late touchdown um i think you know jaguars still need a little bit of work to do to develop um but i do I I am happy with where they are at five and two, you know, considering that the, the AFC South is so bad. Um, I'm okay with where they're at right now. Um, seven, I'm going to keep the Cowboys here because they were on a bye week and they're still going to be regarded as one of the top teams in the NFC Super Bowl teams. No, but they just remain calm, remain steady through all the chaos, especially on their bye week. Um, They got the Rams upcoming next. So it's going to be kind of a wait and see, you know, if they win, they'll maybe move up. If they lose, they'll definitely move back. But because they were on a bye week and didn't do really anything, they just are staying right there at number seven. Number six though, is another drop. I got to put the lions here because they looked so bad against a legitimate opponent in the Baltimore Ravens, 35 to six. What an ugly, ugly score. Um, I think they still have a little bit of work to do. They've got some work to do against these big teams because yes, they did beat uh, Kansas city, but another playoff team in Seattle, you lost in overtime, a for sure playoff team in the Ravens. You look, you lost 35 to six. And I think what needs the most focus is their defense because for a team like Baltimore, um, who, I would say, you know, yes, they have their struggles, but they're still one of the better offenses in football. They gave up 500 yards to them, 503 to be exact. And they made Lamar Jackson look like a really good thrower when really what you have to do is just keep him running and running and running and take advantage of sort of a lower than average uh, passing game that, that uh, Baltimore has Um, offensively. They usually rely on a balanced offense, but, the fact that they didn't have uh, David Montgomery, they're going to need a lot more from Jameer Gibbs. You got to keep in mind of the 84 rush yards. The team had, it was only Gibbs and Craig Reynolds who were the only ball carriers, 14 rushing attempts <coughs> between the two. So there needs to be more names in that running game who really come up for Detroit, because if they don't have any kind of balance, it's going to be all on Jared Goff and while Goff has done much better to sort of change the narrative about him. He still can be prone to make some mistakes. And yes, he does have that connection with Amonra St. Brown. But if you don't have a run game balancing you out, then you're not as a feared offense as you initially were. So that's where I'm putting the Lions. I am putting the team that beat them ahead of them at number five. And I'm putting the Ravens here. They probably had the biggest move up in terms of the top 10 because This 35-6 to win is what Baltimore is when they're at their full potential. This is how good they can be. Lamar Jackson did a great job passing the ball, which is what I wanted him to do. I wanted him to have these over-the-top games. The fact that he only had six incompletions. He went 21-27. to The fact that he threw for over 350 yards and he had three touchdowns. If he can complement that and not be the leading rusher, is exactly how it should be. Someone other than Lamar Jackson leading the team in rushing. And that's what Gus Edwards did. 14 carries compared to nine for Lamar. 64 yards compared to 36 for Lamar. Yes, they both scored touchdowns, but that's okay. Because Lamar does not have to be the leading rusher every single time. And especially, you know, defense, you're going to get help defensively because they're always going to be good. And that linebacker core, And that defensive line that they have with guys like Roquan Smith, Patrick Queen, Jadavian Clowney, even Kyle Van Noy picked up two sacks. And he was basically on the beach a couple of weeks ago. And they grab him and get him some sacks. This is a good roster. And as I mentioned, injuries are going to get in the way. And if Lamar is not a good passer, they're going to get in the way. But if this team plays like this, then they can be really, they can be taken seriously. If they can play like this, consistently you know maybe lamar doesn't have to get 350 yards every single time but if he can get 300 yards or more and focus more on his passing rather than his rushing then this is a team to take seriously and right now they're sitting on top of the afc south as they should be because of performances just like this so keep an eye on that probably won't be able to change anything when they play the cardinals next week because they should roll over them uh on the road in arizona but that's sort of a, a wait-and-see kind of thing. Number four, uh, this is going to be a little bit surprising, but I'm leaving the Dolphins at number four, considering that they did lose, but it was to the Eagles, you know, 31-17, to and unlike most of the top opponents that they have played were a legit contending team, they actually hung around a little bit. I mean, the only reason why I can't really put Miami at the very tip-top, or I could say, like, they're a legit challenger to maybe the chiefs is their schedule because against legit contending teams is where they've lost. They lost 48 to 20 to Buffalo, who's a legit playoff team. Uh, And then to this team, to the Eagles, they lost 31 to 17. When you look at the five wins that they have already, the teams that they've beaten have a combined record of eight and 25. Okay. So it's been a fairly light schedule right now. The fact that they've beaten the two win chargers, the two win Patriots, the two win Broncos, the, uh, Two win Giants and then the winless Panthers I don't think yes they were dominant games and yes they put up 70 and 40 and 30 all the time but when it when it gets to these big time games I mean against the Patriots next week is going to be you know the same thing you know if they win we're going to praise their offense oh they're back they're back but then the week after that they got to play the Chiefs in Germany how they do in those games will really tell me Because against a really good team like the Eagles, that dynamic offense was limited. Their speed was hindered. Yes, Tyreek Hill caught, I think, 11 balls, and he scored a touchdown. But the speed was limited, okay? They were hindered. The rush team only got 45 yards. And that's what they hang their hat on, is the fact that they can run the ball really well. So when they get to these playoff teams, you know, they're probably going to hang around in this top 10 all season long. You know, they'll probably hang around that four, five, six, something like that. But when they get to playoff teams and they play these high stakes matchups, once they win, then you have to take them seriously. But they haven't won yet. So I have a hard time, you know, Can yes, I can pick them to win the division, but I can't say, oh yes, they can definitely challenge the Kansas City Chiefs if they get to an AFC championship game. I can't say that right now. Uh, number three This one, it took me by surprise because I had to put him at number three. I had to put the 49ers here because this was a team that started undefeated and now losses to the Browns and to the Vikings on Monday Night Football. I mean, I was right when I started saying, oh, Brock Purdy is this great talent to get him in the very last pick, now he hasn't looked like himself again. He threw two more interceptions. He only gained 270 yards passing. And then you have uh, the talent around him. Christian McCaffrey obviously was dealing with the oblique injury. He did get the full go, but he still just didn't look like himself. I mean, the fact that he only got 45 yards on 15 carries and 51 yards on three catches. Yes, he had two touchdowns and he continued that streak now to 16 games. It's a little concerning. And you got to remember, there was no Debo Samuel. He's out for a couple of weeks and they didn't have their left tackle, Trent Williams. So, the Vikings were able to just rush them at will. And keep in mind the defense as well. A Vikings team that was 2-4, and not having the best receiver in football in Justin Jefferson, they gave up 452 yards to him. And the secondary in that passing defense gave up 378 to Kirk Cousins and the Vikings. It's a little bit concerning, the fact that the 49ers, who were... for Probably until the start of the year, maybe the best team in football have now lost back-to-back games. I mean, yes, they're still one of the NFC's favorites, but it's no longer a runaway. You know, I I was on the the theory that it was a runaway. But now that the Niners have sort of come back down to earth and have lost against, some would call subpar teams. You know, some might say Cleveland isn't subpar, but I would... I'm concerned if the 49 I'm concerned with the 49ers the fact that they've lost these two games. You know, if it was like the Eagles and the Chiefs back-to-back, that'd be another story, but it's the Browns and the Vikings. Keep that in mind. Browns and Vikings. PJ Walker and Kirk Cousins, okay? So, just keep keep your eyes peeled on San Francisco and where they go after this. Uh, number 2, then I am putting the Eagles right there at 6 and 1, getting a big time win over a playoff team in the Miami Dolphins. And again, this is a team, they don't look dominant like they did last year, but their defense looked a lot better, okay? They only gave up 244 yards to a Miami team that was averaging maybe like 400, um, considering that the speed that they have. So when you have Jalen Carter and the rest of the defensive line shutting down, the run game, which was Miami's strongest asset to them, um, and the speed that they had, the fact they limited them, huge props to them. Um, offensively, I mean, putting up 31 points is nice, but Jalen Hurts continues to turn the ball over. I mean, yes, he only had eight incompletions. He had 280 yards. He threw for a touchdown, but you got to keep in mind, he's got eight interceptions this year. He's tied for most of the league with Jimmy G for most interceptions. And you got to keep in mind, he's only got nine touchdowns on the year passing. So that's a plus one in terms of touchdowns to interceptions. You got to keep in mind last year through the first seven games, he had 10 touchdowns to two interceptions. So it's a little bit concerning, Um, you know, again, not as dominant, but they now have the advantage in the NFC with that Niners loss. They're sitting on the top um, and they get the commanders where that could be a trap game because it is a divisional game. um, And the commanders will have some to play for. They gave them a test the last time they played, it took them to overtime. So this could be a trap game coming up for the Eagles. If they lose this one, um, then you might have to say this team who's in number one right now is the clear it away, runaway favorites for the Super Bowl because number one is without a doubt the Kansas City Chiefs, considering that they won their game in perfect fashion, um, you know, taking down the Chargers 31 to 17. And as usual against LA, Kansas City just lights up the scoreboard. My concerns with Kansas City when it gets to postseason time, because there's there's without a shadow of a doubt that they're at least making the divisional round, is the fact that Patrick Mahomes, once again, had to do everything. He had to throw the ball 42 times for over 420 yards, and he got four touchdowns to four different receivers. So he's good on that part, the fact that he can spread the ball around. He found Travis Kelsey. He found Marquez Valdez-Scanley. He found Rasheed Rice. He found Isaiah Pacheco. And those targets are going to be huge because it can't be just Travis Kelsey out there. Yes, he caught it 12 times for 179 yards, Um, but not many will stop him, but there will be times. So Mahomes is going to have to find some other alternates. And, you know, those alternates might have to be a run game. The fact that the Chiefs only got 68 rush yards in that game is a little concerning. So the fact that Mahomes has to do so much, I mean, compared to Josh Allen, he can make those throws, but there are going to be times, like we saw at the beginning of the game, or beginning of the season with Detroit where he will struggle uh, if he doesn't have his dependable target out there. You know That's going to be concerning without a shadow of a doubt. But as of right now, they are the best team in football in my eyes because the Niners have slipped and the Eagles don't look that dominant. So that's how I see it in the top 10 is the Chiefs uh, on top of everyone right now. And so as we get to the bottom 10, again, this one had to do a lot of thinking for me because there's a new team at number 10. I have to put the Raiders here, and it's it's a little bit unfair, considering that they've gone through a bunch of different quarterbacks. Jimmy G didn't play because he had the back injury, but they lost to the Bears, okay? The Bears were starting Tyson Badgen. Tyson Badgen against Brian Hoyer, that should have been a win for the Raiders. And even if it wasn't a win, it should have been closer than 30 to 12. But let's just face it. Brian Hoyer is a clipboard quarterback. Let's put it at it like this. You can't trust him to get Devontae Adams. So you don't blame Devontae for his uh, frustration. Yes, he had 12 targets, but he only caught it seven times for 57 yards. And Brian Hoyer was benched after his terrible pick six, one of two interceptions on the day. So the Raiders at quarterback right now are a mess because they have the weapons. They have a good running back in Josh Jacobs. They've got great targets in Devontae Adams. They've also got Jacoby Myers as well. They're just a mess. And the fact that they lost to the Bears, my goodness, Josh McDaniels has a lot of reflecting to do right now. So that's where I'm putting the Raiders at number 10. They were flirting with it, but this week ultimately put them in the list right now. Uh, Number nine, I'm putting the Commanders in here. They only managed seven points against the Giants. They lose 14 to seven. Let's just face it. The offense is a mess right now. I mean, you got Sam Howell who's trying to be such a good quarterback, but he doesn't have an offensive line. Another six sacks for him gives him 40 on the year. He's leading the league by far in most time sacks. You know who's in second place is Daniel Jones. And you know how many more sacks Howell has than Daniel Jones? 12. 12 sacks. 12 more sacks. And you got to keep in mind, Daniel Jones has not played the last two weeks. So the fact that Sam Howell has 40 sacks through seven games. Like, if you're doing the math, I'm just trying to do it really quickly in my head. That's about seven sacks a game. A game. So Ron Rivera is a coach in trouble because not only is Sam Howell getting sacked all the time, 10 penalties committed by Washington, 76 rush yards against the Giants right now. Like, Ron Rivera could be the first one without a job. He really could be because Washington's offense, I mean Ron Rivera, yes, he's a legendary Chicago Bear. He was on he was on those legendary teams. But he's got no sense of offense right now and how to help out Ron uh Sam Howell. So that is concerning to me for Washington. Uh number 8, similar with the Cowboys, I'm leaving the Titans here um because they were on the bye week, they didn't really do that much. Um, and they've got their quarterback issues, you know, I'll, I'll see when they play Atlanta this week, how that works. If you have Malik Willis, or if you go with Will Levis, you know, there are reports that both could play and you know, the old phrase, if you got two quarterbacks, you don't really have one. So if they get blown out by Atlanta next week at home, then there's going to be a bigger drop for, uh, this Tennessee Titans team without a doubt. Uh, number seven, I had to move them down the list, and that's the Green Bay Packers. The fact they lost 19 to 17 against Denver. <clears throat> I'm trying to give Jordan Love the benefit of the doubt, but his decision making just con- see, continues to get worse and worse. I mean, two touchdowns and the losing interception where he threw into double coverage. He's spreading the ball around. 10 guys had different receptions, but it's really the decision making. You know, you got to throw the ball away. Yada sometimes just take the sack, um, and you know a quarterback like this he doesn't have a run game right now. Aaron Jones is just now coming back from injury, and AJ Dillon has been taking on a lot of weight since he's been out. Um, so I I don't really know what to say about the Packers right now, other than Jordan Love needs to get his you know what together, <laughs> without a uh, shadow of a doubt. Uh, number six, I am putting the Patriots up here, maybe the biggest jump. Uh, in terms of a bottom 10 team, but, I mean, it was night and day from the start of the season to this past week for the Pats, and we're going to get more in-depth on the Pats because we're talking Celtics in our Let's Get Local. Um, The fact that the Pats came back and won 29-25, to they look like a completely new team, and you got to keep in mind, before Sunday, they were outscoring 93-20 to between uh, the Cowboys, the Saints, and the Raiders. But now they come back and, hey, Mac Jones finally led a comeback drive. Hallelujah. They finally played to his strengths. They brought on a really good talent, an athlete, into Mario Douglas. They made him a focal point on offense. Kendrick Bourne, he found Kendrick Bourne a lot. Um, obviously, the way he was able to move the ball on that final drive was something we hadn't seen in his entire career. So, congrats to the Patriots for finally getting that win. And it's probably going to be short lived because now they have to travel to Miami and play the dolphins. But at least, at least they finally showed some life rather than getting blown out all the time. Uh, Number five, I'm going with the Broncos here at two and five, beating the Packers 19 to 17. I would say the defense is starting to come around after being embarrassed by Miami, but two things. One, It's a Packers team who I just mentioned. The offense is a little sketchy right now. And that defense just lost Kareem Jackson, one of their better players. And the fact that Jackson once again got ejected for another illegal hit, he's got to control himself. And that's really on Sean Payton. That's really a Sean Payton role. He has to go to Jackson and say, stop with the illegal hits. And now he's been suspended four games for this illegal hit. I think he's been ejected four times so that's why they got the four games but Sean Payton that that's a that's a reflection on Sean Payton the fact that Jackson continues to take these dirty hits and these cheap shots Sean Payton needs to bring him into a room and literally has to scold him you know you don't become a great coach like you were in the Saints and win a Super Bowl by not doing stuff like that so Payton's got to do that he's got to take charge on that defense because Russell Wilson you know, he's not going to be this elite talent anymore. He's going to be a game manager who's going to need a running game. And that's what he got. He got 194 passing yards, but he got great contributions from Javante Williams and Jaleel McLaughlin on the ground. So Wilson can do that. Now Peyton has to go to the locker room on defense and be, and just lay into them because they should be much better than where they are right now. Really? Cause I'm not concerned about the offense. Um, Russell Wilson, uh, they will lose on offense because of Russell Wilson, not Sean Payton. So Payton needs to focus more on the defense rather than on Russell Wilson and that offense because they will figure it out at some point. Uh, Number four, I'm going to put the Bears here. um, Considering they were starting Tyson Badgett and winning over Brian Hoyer in the Vegas, I just railed on the Raiders. I mean, nothing really to get excited about. But Badgett was basically told, don't be stupid. And don't turn the ball over. And that's exactly what he did. Went 21-29 to for 162 yards and a touchdown. And he got some really good help from Devontae Foreman uh, getting uh, three touchdowns on the day. Deontay Foreman uh, bailing him out uh, in that sense. So uh, the Bears, it's not something too excited. I mean, now they're going to be in prime time taking on the Chargers. Um, let's not get too excited. Chicago, you beat the Raiders and you still don't have Justin field. So let's relax on that one. Number three, I'm going to put the giants here because again, while they won, they continued to struggle, um, putting up points on the board. I mean, Tyrod Taylor just continued to struggle. They were five of 16 on third down, but as the giants have done, they've been riding their defense and the defense actually won it. They got a key fourth down stop of Washington and they blocked a field goal. So this is really more on Washington looking bad than the Giants looking good because we saw Saquon Barkley. I mean, he scored the touchdown. Without him, that offense is nothing. Absolutely nothing. So good job on the Giants. Again, tough opponent, but they can't put up points on the board. That's why I got to put them at number three and nothing, uh, anything higher than that. Number two, I think this one's a no doubter, and it's the Cardinals um, at one and six. You know, it's kind of similar with the Panthers. They're the only team right now with one win, and until they get that second win, they really can't be under consideration for getting at anything higher than that. They just don't have really enough playmakers and game changers on their roster. I mean, with James Conner, um, he was the bailout on the run game for Josh Dobbs, and Dobbs just can't handle it without him, and this guy De Mercado obviously can't replace him with the kind of that he is. Um, Josh Dobbs is kind of, I, I think that, the rest of the league is getting a good scout on him. And Dobbs just isn't able to adapt right now. I mean, he only got 146 yards on 33 passes. Um, This is still the seventh best rushing team, but they're the fifth worst worst passing team right now. So I think Josh Dobbs is finally coming back to the crowd and getting to the bottom of the league as we kind of expected. And now it's not going to get any easier because they host the Ravens. They travel to Cleveland, they host the Falcons and then they travel to Houston to play the Texans. So, I don't think it's going to get any easier right now uh, for Arizona. But luckily, they're not number one because that still goes to the Carolina Panthers because they are still the only winless team left in the NFL. Nothing more needs to be said about that. You're the only winless team. You have to be in the number one spot. So bottom 10, I mean, I had to do a lot of moving around because it looked, it felt like almost every team in the bottom one. Um, but that's where I stand on the bottom 10. And as always, as I point out, give me your comments uh, on the, on the Twitter, on the, on the Twitter, on the Twitter, on the Facebook, on the Instagram. How do we do uh, in these rankings? Uh, but coming up next, we got a special segment. We're going to include a special guest to help us preview the NBA season, which gets started tonight by the time this podcast airs and is released There will be games played, regular season games in the NBA. And I thought we need a perfect insider. So coming up next, the one and only Justin Turpin joins us to preview the NBA season. So as many of you know, the NBA season kicks off tonight. And I figured you can't just have me to preview it. I need someone else who's got some real expertise. So joining us now on the podcast is WEEI's, one of EEI's Celtics insiders. He's got a brand new podcast on the Celtics season coming out. And of course, he's on the producer family at EEI. Very thrilled to have Justin Turpin join us on the show. Turp, thanks for taking the time and previewing a little NBA with
1: us. Thanks for having me. I can't wait to talk some Celtics and NBA.
0: I know we'll uh, we'll get to the Celtics during our Let's Get Local segment in the next segment. But um, before we start previewing the NBA, I just want to let audience and viewers, listeners know a little bit about you and how you got into being uh, first a producer and now a writer for the Celtics. You're one of their top insiders because you had just started taking on the role uh, as a writer for WEI. You, Scott McLaughlin, Rob Bradford, uh, Manning, that tell us about uh, your journey into becoming a writer.
1: Yeah, so it was kind of, they were, look, They didn't necessarily have a Celtics writer, so I was like, you know what, I'd be happy to take it on, and I kind of got the shot, I reached out to Rob Bradford, he gave me the chance to do so, and I was doing it a little bit last year, did most of the home games, and then this year they had me doing uh, almost every home game, and away games, and also the practices, so I can't wait to do it.
0: Yeah, it's definitely going to be a fun season, was there anything about last year, because I mean... He kind of joined a little bit halfway. I know you and I were talking sort of behind the scenes. He kind of joined that Celtics rotation halfway. Was there at one point? Was what was maybe the biggest uh, moment that you saw in person covering the team?
1: Well, doing all the playoff games is special. So probably Game Seven. That was my first mm-hmm. Game Seven. My first. Really, that was the biggest playoff game I've been to in any sport. I mean, I saw Brady's last game as a fan when they lost to the Titans. I saw Isaiah Thomas drop 53 in the playoff game, but something about a game seven at the TD Gardens, always special. So that was a really cool moment for me and one I'll never forget.
0: Oh my god. I went to the I remember I went to the game seven between Celtics and Bucks during the title season, and that place that was, was electric. One. Like you can't get you can't get any better than a game seven. Like if you're there in person, game seven for a playoff game, no matter where it is. It's just
1: electric. hundred percent. The noise is a true factor. And it was the most, even though they lost, it was the most fun environment. I think I've been a part of in a sports uh, game. So that was awesome.
0: And you know what they say. It's not a job. If you're having fun, <laughs> and it's exactly, seems like it seems like you're having a great time. So um, we'll get into the Celtics in a little bit, but um, I want to talk mainly about uh, the giant NBA. Cause we got a couple of teams playing uh, tonight. We're recording on a Tuesday. Most of the teams will get started on a Wednesday night. I want you to sort of look back at what the offseason was uh, in the NBA. And what would you say probably is the biggest storyline maybe coming into this new season as it gets underway?
1: It has to be all the player movement, right? Look at the teams around the league and how different they look. I mean, look at the teams playing tonight. Bradley Beal, uh, granted, he's not going to play tonight, but joining that Suns team, Kristaps Porzingis, Drew Holiday coming to Boston, Damon Lillard to Milwaukee. There was just so so much movement around the league, and things are going to look a lot different. And I think that has to be the biggest storyline. It's going to make for a very exciting season.
0: Was there maybe a, a player of movement that didn't get the headlines, like a Dame Lillard or a Perzingis that you think kind of floated under the radar, but is gonna be a really important move?
1: There was a so the thing is there was a lot of movement. I think Grant Williams is a big one. And that's kind of a local tie. I think he's going to be a big factor in Dallas. There's a reason they went out and paid them what they did in that sign and trade. I think he's going to make a big difference in a piece that they've been kind of lacking. Obviously they have the scoring with Kyrie and Luca. Now you're adding grant who we know very well can knock down that corner three also can defend bigger centers and play, play forwards and guards. So he's very versatile and I think he brings a lot to that team. So I think Luca's going to be, excuse me, Grant's going to be one to watch.
0: Yeah, that Dallas team missed the playoffs after they got Kyrie Irving. We'll have to see how, how they embarrassing do. embarrassing was that? That was really embarrassing. Apparently.
1: They missed the play-in. How do you yeah. miss the play-in tournament? Dallas <laughs> sold
0: all their assets, and now here they are with two superstars, and they can't make the playoffs. Um, Obviously, a storyline that's in the offseason but is also lingering into this season is James Harden. I mean, you know it. Nothing new. Wanting out of Philly. Philly can't find a trade partner. He's not getting a contract. How do you see the situation unfolding? Because right now he's not present in Philadelphia and no one even knows if he's going to play some regular season games, with Joel be and the Sixers. How do you think this situation unfolds?
1: Yeah, it's an ugly situation. Uh, they're calling it personal matters, but I think we all know what the root of the issue is. And that's his relationship with Daryl Morey, who is in, in that shoe event in China called him a liar, said he'd never be part of an organization that Morey is present in. And I don't think they're going to have any choice, but to trade him. There's just no, I think, that relationship is beyond repair. James Harden's been on the record talking about it, how he doesn't trust. He compared it to a marriage. He said it's almost like a marriage. When you lose that trust, it's hard to repair. So I don't think they have any chance, uh, any opportunity, but to trade them. They have to do it. They really don't have a choice. Would you say
0: one side is being, like, more unreasonable than the other? Because it looks like Daryl more and the Sixers are looking for more assets and James Harden, you know, This is the third time he's done it. He did it in Houston. He did it in Brooklyn. Now he's doing it with the Sixers. Is there one side that might like have more blame than the other, or is it kind of like split down the middle?
1: I think you just nailed it. I think it's James Harden that deserves a little bit more blame. I mean, everywhere the guy goes, there seems to be problems. So I think it has to fall on him a little bit more. And he opted in too. People forget that. He had the player option and opted in and then was looking for the trade, which sometimes make it easier for a trade, but it's your professional player. Like when you're under contract, you sign these deals. You are expected to play for the team you are under contract with. And it feels like everywhere he goes, there's these kind of issues behind the scenes, whatever it may be with him. So I think James Harden should shoulder a little bit more of that blame.
0: Yeah, he's not the same player that he once was a couple of years ago, and he wasn't even winning there. So um, we'll see what happens in Philly. To a more stable team, though, in Milwaukee, obviously another offseason line, as you mentioned, was Damian Lillard. He sounded like he wanted to go to the heat. It looked like where it was going, but here come the Bucks. Now it's this big duo of Giannis and Dame Lillard. Would you call those two maybe the most powerful duo in the NBA?
1: Offensively, for sure. What they're going to be able to do on the pick and roll and the pick and pop in their two-man game is going to be terrifying for opposing defenses. But on the defensive end is where they lose it. Obviously, Dame Lillard not necessarily known for his defense, where Giannis is, he's a A fearful defender So I think they are the best duo offensively But their defense leaves a lot to be desired
0: Yeah, it's kind of of like a wait and see Because we haven't really seen Dame in the playoffs Aside from that one year with the Blazers He went to the conference finals We'll kind of wait and see Do you see this duo sort of translating to the same success we saw When Giannis was playing with Drew Holiday And a couple of these other guys Because it looks like Milwaukee lost a lot of depth in that trade
1: They definitely did But Giannis is a winner I mean, the guy is always at the top of the conference, has an NBA championship to show for it. He is a winner, and he elevates the players around him. So I do think they are going to be successful, and I think the common consensus around the league right now is people know the top two teams in the East are going to be Milwaukee and Boston. So they they have those expectations. They have that pressure, and Giannis has responded well in his career. Under those circumstances, and I'm excited to see what Damian Lillard can do now with a winning team and a legitimate contender, which he severely lacked in Portland.
0: Well, that's a good segue to talk about Celtics and Bucks because I mean everyone's forgetting that the Heat were the team that made the NBA Finals with the eighth seed. Uh, comparing them to the Nuggets, do you think it's more likely that Denver makes it back to the Finals or Miami makes it back to the Finals? One, what do you see with their title chances between those two?
1: I think Denver right now is the, still the team to beat in the West. Uh, yeah, you lost Bruce Brown, but you still have the best player in the world, the Nikola Jokic. You have Jamal Murray, another year healthier now. Remember, he was coming off the torn ACL, starting kind of regressing back into play, and he played very well last year. Now has a full off season to prepare. I think he's going to take a big step this year, more than what we saw last year. And I think Denver has everything it take, everything it has, everything they have right now is what teams want. Think about like what they, their, their team build right now. Jokic, Aaron Gordon, Jamal Murray, all these guys are within what, 25 to 30 years old, right in their primes and all locked up. So I think Denver is that team to beat right now, still in the West. So I, I, Look for them to make it back to the finals, honestly. Out of that, West,
0: I mean, don't forget Michael Porter Jr. and a yep. fairly young KCP as well, sort of early 30s, but that's still relatively I think young. Very
1: underappreciated KCP.
0: Oh, oh yeah, but he two, brings to teams as two titles now, key yep. factor on that Lakers bubble team. Uh, exactly, well. watch, watch out for them. Um, with the Nuggets, what is which Western Conference team do you think can like challenge them the best? Is it like automatically locked at Phoenix with now this big three headed duo and Booker Durant and Beal? Could it be the Lakers who uh, looked like garbage and then they made a bunch of trades, made it to the conference finals, or maybe a team that we're not sort of talking about, like the Warriors getting back to there, maybe the Kings turning around. Which team do you think can challenge the Nuggets?
1: I think you just rattled off the top three. I think definitely the Lakers, the Suns, but the Suns' defense really is concerning to me. and the loss of DeAndre Ayton, how are you going to match up with Nikola Jokic now? What are you going to do against those big centers? The Lakers are... People forget, like you mentioned, they went to the conference finals a season ago. Yeah, they were not great in the middle of the season, but they really turned things around. They still have LeBron James and AD. Austin Reeves might take that big jump. So I think the Lakers, I put them a little bit above the Suns, to be honest with you. I think the Suns' defense really has a lot of question marks, like with the loss of DeAndre Ayton, like I just mentioned. So I think the biggest threats to Denver right now, the Lakers... The Suns and Pro Warriors, as long as the Warriors have Curry, Clay, Draymond, Steve Kerr, that duo or that that pairing, they'll be all right. And don't you know, forget if you have been, Chris
0: Paul coming off the bench, too. Exactly.
1: And that's a great point. I think he'll fit in perfectly there.
0: OK, so you're not worried about Chris Paul and how he gels with Golden State if he has to come off the bench for the first time in his career.
1: No, nope, I'm not. I think he's at that point of his in the stage of his career where he wants to win a championship. And I think he has a good opportunity to do it in Golden State. They're among the top five teams of the West, obviously, and they're going to a team. Curry and Clay have four championships already. You know, they're winners, and he's going there. And I think he only adds to that winning culture, though he's never won an NBA finals, but, you know, he's been around and he's had he's success there. in this league 100%. So I think he is a professional, and I think he'll be just fine assimilating into there.
0: Yeah, of course, Chris Paul, one of the older statements in the NBA, staying in the Western Conference, though. I don't think there's ever been a draft pick in the last maybe 20 years or so that's gotten as much hype as Victor Wembanyama, And we've seen it a little bit in the preseason. He's flashed his handles, his defense. Do you think that the number one pick in San Antonio is going to live up to all the hype? Or is this just, you know, kind of a Zion Williamson kind of thing where, yes, there's excitement, but he's going to somehow doom his career?
1: I do think he lives up to the hype. I don't know if you saw this. So the Mavericks are playing the Spurs tomorrow night. And in practice, they had coaches wearing these big like arm almost extensions of their arms and they're calling it the Wembies. I mean, that's what he brings just his lengthy seven, four, he's only 19 too. So he might not be done growing seven, four, got an eight foot wingspan, whatever it may be. This guy has all the intangibles. He can shoot. He can dribble. He can defend. He does just everything you look for on the court. And, And I go back to the annual GM survey, which this really stuck out to me in that survey where they were talking about what players you want to build your team around in at least half the league, three quarters of the league, said Victor wemba before he's even seen an NBA game. They've never seen him in real play, in regular season play, and he was the most common pick across the board, which is just insane to me.
0: And you know the story, you know, what's going around. Oh, look at what Greg Popovich did with the Admiral David Robinson, the big fundamental Tim Duncan. Now wemba has to live up to those shoes, and as you say, he's got some big shoes to fill. Very large shoes to fill, and he's doing that. He's yeah, doing that so, so far, far in the so preseason. Good. Uh, it's amazing that the Mavericks are doing that just for a rookie, considering the length he is. And Do you think?
1: Never seen anything like other than preseason play for him. And that's just the kind of presence that he brings and the fear he strikes in opponents. And I think he does live up to that hype.
0: Some excitement back in San Antonio. It's always good to have them. Um, As we're wrapping up here, last couple of questions here on the general NBA, we talked about some of the contending teams, uh, some title teams, obviously the title favorites. Is there a team that maybe we're not really paying attention to that you think maybe shock people, maybe not a a finals team or a title team, but maybe a team that maybe missed the playoffs or got into the play-in and then is going to ascend. Is there any team like that that sticks out to you?
1: I think the Cavs in the Eastern Conference can make some noise. I think they are a good team. They added some good shooters with Max Strews. So I'm excited to see what the Cavs can do. I think, well, they were very underwhelming in the in the playoffs last year, losing to New York. But I am excited to see what they can do. And a team that I really think can take a big jump is the Oklahoma City Thunder. And they're fun to watch. I mean, they were a great offense last year. Now they're adding Chet Holgram, uh, SGA again. So they're going to be fun to watch. The problem is the West is very competitive, so how exactly they match up in terms of results is going to be a different story, but I think they are going to give teams some troubles, and they are going to be really fun to watch this year. All
0: right, well, then on the contrary, is there a team, if you see the Thunder and the Cavs taking that step forward, is there going to be a team that maybe takes a big step back, maybe a playoff team that is at the bottom of the league?
1: Not necessarily the bottom of the league, but I do think the Miami Heat take a big step back. Obviously, they're in the Eastern Conference Finals a year ago, but they had some notable losses this offseason. Obviously, losing Max Strus, Gabe, Vincent, and they didn't really do much to fill their shoes. So I do think the Miami Heat see some regression. Obviously, Jimmy Butler's great, but it was a pretty special run that they went on last year.
0: Yeah, especially and as I, an eight seed. And as you mentioned, they lost all of those pieces. And if you're saying they're taking a step back from the eight seed, does that mean they missed the playoffs entirely?
1: Well, and it's it's funny because they lost the play in last year. You know, people do. Right, tend to Atlanta. That. It was going to be
0: Celtics and Heat in the first round if they won.
1: Yeah, and it was almost a blessing that, that the Celtics didn't get that one seed because they would have matched up with the Heat, who ultimately beat the Bucs and went on to go to the NBA Finals. But I think those were some very underrated pieces that they lost. So how they're going to fill those roles is going to be interesting. But the Miami Heat have always done this, right? They it's that Heat culture you hear about it all the time. And it's the real deal. It's legit how they kind of breed these guys into just automatic role players and how they fill those roles. But I could, I'm not necessarily going to say they'll miss the playoffs, but I I think they'll be a play-in team and we won't see them in the Eastern Conference Finals again. I could, I think I could say that pretty confidently.
0: All right. If you say so, I mean, Heat culture is their own jerseys. It's their city jerseys that
1: they have out there. So they're really I do love how they buy into it. That and the vice jerseys. <laughs> they have, they might have one of the coolest jerseys in the league with those vice ones.
0: Oh, I agree that even their standard jerseys, the black and red, pretty the combo. cool, right? Yeah. Those are. So there's some pretty cool jerseys without a doubt. If I wasn't a Celtics fan, I'd be buying a heat jersey right yeah, now. Well... Um, how about, how about an individual player? Maybe not specifically a team. Is there a name that's sort of floating under there? I think, I think of last year, maybe like a Tyrese Halliburton uh, for Indiana kind of coming out of nowhere. Is there any player that no one's really paying attention to that could kind of break out, maybe make an all-star team and uh, lead the, you know, take the league by storm?
1: I think Austin Reeves in L.A. takes a big jump. Saw they give him that deal. LeBron has a lot of trust in him, and I think he's gonna have a lot of chances to kind of step up. and I know you know he's kind of a common name. people saw him what he was able to do in the postseason. but I really think you know he could be an all-star this year and he's gonna turn some heads
0: all right Well, as you said, the Lakers are ready to come and you you could say last year that they uh they went on his energy. so uh Austin Reeves is definitely a name to watch out for. all right. Now to wrap up this segment, I got to get you on the record here, Turp. I need your finals prediction here on October 24th, hours before the season opens up. I need you to give me your finals prediction. Who wins, who loses, who makes the finals. Lay it out on the table.
1: I'm going Celtics versus Nuggets, and Ooh. I've got the Celtics taking home Banner 18. I think this is the Ooh. year they can do it.
0: Okay, okay. And he's game-length, series MVP. <laughs>
1: series MVP, Jason Tatum.
0: <laughs> and i'll say
1: six or seven they're gonna give they're gonna give it a, they're gonna give it a chase they're not gonna run away with it okay okay tatum, uh he's gonna be the focal point of that offense obviously and he's priding himself on defense this year so i think he really takes a big jump and the moves they've made this year is it's been enough to put them over the hump and i see celtics and six over the nuggets with jason tatum finals mvp
0: okay bonus question will be you be in the re- the arena when that happens
1: I better be. I better be. I'll be there if it's a home game. Might have to, uh, might have to look at a spirit airline flights. If, uh, if I have the opportunity to you gotta go. spend
0: some of your money to get on that flight, get oh, yourself man. out to Denver, I get into that too. arena. Uh, what a great, what a great way to preview the NBA season. Terp. Uh, thanks for helping us preview. Hope you can stay right there because you are a Celtics insider. We need you to preview the Celtics as their season gets underway in a little bit more than 24 hours. This is our city. So now we bring back Justin Turpin to get into our Let's Get it Local segment of the week. And this one's dedicated strictly to the Celtics. So, Turp, I know you follow the rest of Boston sports just like me. With the Red Sox still looking for a GM. Even though the Patriots won against the Bills, it's still a dreary season. And the Bruins not yet really getting into full gears. It's nice to get some Celtics basketball right back. would 100%. You,
1: yeah, they have the chance to steal the city here.
0: All right. Well, so I guess we'll start it off like this. I think the big story in the offseason, as we mentioned it, trading Marcus Smart, getting Christoph Porzingis. We saw the initial trade was going to be Brogdon, but then at the last minute, it goes to Smart. I want you to give me uh, sort of your feelings on that day. I think it was about uh, somewhere in July or August when that deal went down. What was your initial reaction? when you saw that the Celtics would get Kristaps Porzingis but they'd have to give up their longest tenured player Marcus Smart.
1: Yeah, so starting earlier in that day when you first see it was Malcolm Brogdon, I think everyone kind of knew Malcolm Brogdon was going to be on his way out. There was frustrations with how the Celtics handled his injury and you know, he didn't necessarily love you know, being involved in those trade talks. So Malcolm when Malcolm Brogdon was the trade, it was kind of like, wow, you're getting Kristaps Porzingis and you're really only giving up Brogdon. That looks really good. And then later on, it was, it was almost midnight when the news broke on the East coast here is Marcus smart was being traded to Memphis and you didn't really see what it was until the second tweet came out. And at first it's just a feeling of kind of shock, right? I think everyone had the idea that Marcus smart was going to retire Celtic. The guy was the heart and soul, a fan favorite. Brad Stevens obviously coached him he grew up with Marcus Smart in his NBA career, so I think it was a feeling of shock, but you know, once that kind of settled in, you realize that changes needed to be made, and you weren't going to break up the Jays, and they're right in the middle of their prime, so where do you start? And it, it would be Marcus Smart. That was the kind of the third head of the three-headed monster, whatever it may be, the way people were looking at that Celtics team, so Marcus Smart was the odd man out in that sense. And then you had a guy like Chris Tops Porzingis. And at the time, it looked like Boston had kind of addressed their front court depth issues. Last year was a problem. With Then you had Porzingis. You had Horford. You had uh, Robert Williams. So it looked like you had kind of addressed that. And Porzingis brought an aspect to the game that the Celtics have never really had. A big man that can excel in the pick and roll and also the pick and pop. And once that kind of settled in, you realized, like, man, this – this really could be the piece that could bring the Celtics over the hump, especially considering the changes needed to be made.
0: Do you think at the time, because I really think it was one of those things where as fans, we thought, okay, changes need to happen, but to see the trigger actually be pulled was kind of shocking. Do you think that maybe Tatum and Brown Tatum or Brown kind of signed off on this? If Brad Stevens, maybe went to them and be like, yeah, we have to give up smart, but we're going to bring back Porzingis. Do you think the running conversations in there?
1: I don't think so, because Marcus Smart seemed blindsided by it. And something tells me if Marcus Smart was blindsided with it, I don't think they were necessarily involved either. And to be honest, I don't know how much they'd want to be involved. They spent their whole career with Marcus Smart. You think they want to be the guys to tell Brad Stevens, like, all right, you know what? he's the odd one out let's let's ship him off and at the time jalen brown wasn't even extended yet so jalen brown was worrying about his own issues he had yet to sign the supermax extension which took longer than expected so i don't necessarily think they were in on those conversations i think they probably had an idea but i don't think they necessarily chimed in as much because those guys they were close i mean they spent what six seven years together so i don't think they necessarily had much say in those
0: yeah, uh, for for sure. I mean, considering when the move was made, you had some fans being like, oh, you gave up the hot and soul, my yep, smart. And then others like being like, finally, he's gone, he's gone. Um, obviously, we had no idea that more moves were going to be made. Once the Day-Miller trade went through, that opened up Drew Holiday, and the Celtics make that move with Portland, but they have to give up Robert Williams as well as Malcolm Brogdon. On top of sort of the other moves um, that you can maybe clue us in on, like an O'Shea Brissett, uh, drafting Jordan Walsh in the second round. How would you overall grade Brad Stevens' uh, offseason and the move he made, including uh, the Marcus smart Kristaps Porzingis trade?
1: I give him an A, and honestly, I, he's my pick for executive of the year. I think, like we said, changes needed to be made, and he made those changes in a big, big way. And he identified these two guys, Drew Holiday and Kristaps Porzingis, as the guys that can take the Celtics over the hump. And the common theme with these two – is Brad Stevens has been looking at these guys for years. Remember, he tried to sign Porzingis when he was still the head coach. He tried to get Porzingis here. He talked glowingly of Drew Holiday saying, "This is the guy that you have a list of players that you always want on your team. You never think they'll become available, and then they do. You have to go out and get them." So I give him an A. I mean, those two alone, they're top six is the best in the league. And in my opinion, it's not really close. You have a guy and Al Horford coming off the bench now, and some nights it might be Derek white, whatever they decide to do with that lineup. But I give him an a, I think these moves that he has made have put them over the top. They are the best team in the NBA right now, in my opinion, when it comes to roster. And I think he's done everything in his power to put them in the best chance to win banner 18.
0: Yeah. He's definitely been an aggressive uh, GM, since he's taken over that role from being a head coach. Now to uh, from moving to the players, how about the coaching staff? I mean, obviously there were some calls about Joe Mazzulla. Oh, why is he not using a timeout? You know, this was a guy thrust into the job. He gets to the Eastern Conference, and now guys want his head. Well, now look what's happened to his staff. Sam Cassell, Charles Lee, even a couple, a week or two ago, Jeff Van Gundy yep. as a senior consultant. Do you think that Joe Mazzulla should be worried about his, uh, his job, Tenuous, seeing that there are so many guys who are basically head coach worthy behind him on the bench, or would you say Missoula's job is relatively safe?
1: I think it's very safe. I think Brad Stevens is extremely high on Joe Missoula, and that's the reason he went to Joe Missoula last year when Ime Yudoka got suspended. In most people's opinions, you know, Damon Stoudemire was probably the best guy for the job, and they opted to go with Joe Missoula, who really had no NBA a coaching experience had just been assistant, um not for many years either, and his only head coaching assist uh, experience was in Division Two. So, they took a chance there, and Brad Stevens has a very unique, ta- uh, unique knack of identifying talent on the coaches. I mean, look at Emilio Doka, what they what he did in that one year, and granted, you know, we never really got to see more of him, and unfortunately, but even Joe Mazzula, I think Joe Mazzula is a good coach. He has unique philosophies, but I think that's also him trying to, you know, ease his way in. He was thrown into the fire last year and now he has some help last year. He was, he was with the staff that was left behind by the, Udoka and was already kind of depleted with the loss of Will Hardy taking the job in Utah. And now he's had the chance to build his own staff surrounding it with guys that he thinks compliment him the best and the players, the best. And The way they're taking things, the way they're approaching things right now is very unique. Joe has talked about it a couple times where it's kind of a gang approach. They're all working together. So I don't think his job is really in jeopardy at all because he built the staff and he's done a damn good job with it. And him and Brad Stevens.
0: Well, that sort of leads into this follow up here. I mean, you've been uh, around the facility. You've been at these press conferences. I've seen them. Joe Bizzoua looks a lot more relaxed. And when you talk to all the guys, it looks like they're sort of loose and having more fun. We've seen on your social media of uh, Jason Tatum working with Sam Cassell. We've seen Paul Pierce, Rajon Rondo recently. Would you say this is sort of a more relaxed group as you would compare? Obviously, the the big all of a sudden departure of Imei Udoka, as you mentioned, right before camp got started. But would you say this year uh, everyone looks a lot more relaxed and having a lot more fun?
1: Yeah, there's a fine line, though, because they are relaxed and they are having fun, but
0: they are comfortable, very...
1: comfortable. Is the word. Yeah, yeah. No, but they are very, very serious when it comes to time to go on the court. But everyone looks more comfortable. And I think it starts with the head coach. And that's something that honestly might be my biggest takeaway from camp is how comfortable Joe Mazzulla's looked. not only talking to the media, but how he's addressing the team. He's finally had a whole offseason to prepare last year, obviously thrown the fire. And he's doing his best right now to leave his mark on this team. I think one of the coolest things that he's done is send that email to the Celtic alumni. He, I don't know if you heard the story. He sent the email to the Celtic alumni, inviting them to games, practices, travel with the team, whatever it may be, because he wants them to be part of this. They're the ones that started this culture. He wants them to be part of it as this team tries to encapsulate what they did in 2008 and win a championship so he's putting his stamp on this and he just looks so much more comfortable and he's relaxed he's confident i think that's the big thing you know he has people around him he knows he has the tools to succeed and now he's out of these terrific coaches around him he's comfortable he's confident and I, I have big, high expectations for Joe Mazzola this year.
0: Yeah, I think the big thing when I asked you that question was about uh, Bazoula regarding, you know, he looks a lot more comfortable. Yes. And obviously he's cracking jokes at the presser. Um, Dropped his first F-bomb yesterday. <laughs> first one. How about that? Um, do you think like these visits from Paul Pierce and Rajon Rondo that we've seen, how much do you think that's going to help the team?
1: Big time. Big time. I mean – Look at how they responded to having a former player as a coach in Ime Udoka. And now you're bringing in guys that have won a championship in the very uniform that you are wearing. Guys that are the reason of those banners. And I think they kind of look up to them. Jalen Brown talked about it. Jalen Brown said yesterday, he says, well, I grew up watching the Celtics and Rajon Rondo, KG, Paul Pierce. And now having them kind of critique you and tell you, no, no, this is how you should do it. It goes a long way. And it just adds to the wealth of basketball knowledge that they have inside those walls now with the assistant coaches, with Van Gundy, with the top. I mean, think about it, your front office and Van Gundy took more of a front office role, but Van Gundy and Stevens, both head coaches, all these guys in your sideline, former players and guys that have interviewed for head coaching positions. And now you're adding former players. So I think they just have such a wealth of knowledge and it's going to go a long, long way.
0: Yeah, it's definitely – it's obviously fun, at least for the fans, too, to see some former oh, players, right. especially a guy like Paul Pierce and Rajon Ronda, who are beloved during this time with the Celtics. Um, two-parter here for this one. Obviously, with no Marcus Smart, as we mentioned, that means everyone's saying Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, got to step up more as a leadership roles because they are the two best players unequivocally on this roster. What do you think those two need to do, maybe individually and together, to sort of maybe take that next step forward to be a champion – champion and then who do you think should be starting alongside with because that's another big conversation to have
1: I think they have to kind of grow comfortable with their game they have to play and they now have the opportunity to do so with holiday white with that loaded lineup they can play Team basketball. That's when they play at their best. When they're going isolations, it doesn't really work, right? You just look at teams like the Nuggets. The two-man game between Murray and Jokic is what got them to the NBA Finals. And the Celtics need to play as a team. Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, the two, maybe the three-man game with poor Zingas as well, include Holiday in there. They have all the weapons to do so. They also have to emerge more vocal. I think that's been the knock on them as you are the best players you guys are the highest paid players jalen brown one of the highest paid players in the league right now jason tatum following in his footsteps this offseason they need to emerge, emerge more vocal they have to accept that this is their team like there's there's no more marcus smart like he was the heart and soul now that is a void a leadership void and in reality it has to be filled with all 14 guys on the roster they have that one open roster now. now if, if they sign another one then he should assume that role too but it starts with them, too. And in terms of the lineup, it has to be Al Hoyford off the bench. I mean, they can play small. Jason Tatum looks like a true power forward now. He said a media days, added 12 pounds of muscle. He works daily. You talked about him working with Sam Cassell. At the end of practices, they let the media come down. After every practice, he is on that back hoop working in his post-up games with Sam Cassell. So that's just – he's adding – he's going to play bigger this year, and I think in preparation that Al Horford is going to see most of his time off the bench, which is fine. We saw how he did with the Knicks when he played with that second unit on that in the second preseason game at home. He was energy, and he brought energy. He was fast and scoring. So I think he can assume that role. Al is a pro, and now he just wants a ring. You know, The guy's been playing – for all these years, doesn't have a ring to show for it, and I think if it's going to take sacrifice, but it'll pay off for Orford at the end.
0: Yeah, he's the ultimate team player. Plus, you know he's yeah. he's not playing in back to back, so it might help to have him off the bench. Um, now to put a bow on this conversation, obviously we saw in the previous segment, we heard you were picking the Celtics over the Nuggets uh, to win the NBA championship. Would you then say that it's fair? to have sort of this championship or bust sort of mentality to have like would if they don't win it all, would you categorize the season as a failure?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And Wick Rospeck mentioned that this is more of a multi-year window, but I'm not sure that's how Boston fans see it. These, these fans are hungry for a championship. We were spoiled for all those years. And now we're in a little bit of a drought. You have the best team in the NBA right now, and there is still, there's some urgency to win now. Because Derek White didn't sign the contract prior to la- the extension prior to last night's deadline. If they can't meet his number, that's a big loss. Like you there is urgency to win now. You have these guys, at least with White and Holiday locked up for the next two years. You need to go out and win a championship now. They've been put in perfect position, and there's really no excuses. They have all the st- all the weapons of the coaching staff. they have the best roster in the league. There is no excuses for that this team not to win the finals this year.
0: Yeah, especially when you consider they made the finals and then they got that heartbreak in the finals, you know, as everyone likes to say, those are stepping stones and then eventually they finally come through with it. They almost did it last year coming back from 3-0, but we'll have to see if sort of that's the theme, I guess, sort of the redemption tale uh, for this Celtics team. Uh, Turp, I want to thank you for your time. Before we let you go, why don't you promote uh, some of your stuff that you're doing uh, with Odyssey and with WEI? Uh, you're their Celtics Insider. We know you're writing for WEEI.com, and you've also got a uh, podcast coming up. Why don't you uh, tell us all about that?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So you can follow me on Twitter at Justin M. Turpin. I tweet all my stuff out there on WEEI.com, All my Celtics articles and whatnot are up there. And on the Odyssey app, if you go just search up Justin Turpin live, give it a follow. We'll be doing post-game shows and, what keeping you updated all things celtics is uh hopefully we can raise banner 18 this year
0: justin turpin live who's going to be carrying that banner once they do win it <laughs> oh uh, hopefully Turp. thank you so much for your time and we hope to have a great celtic season we'll look forward to uh listening and reading all your stuff with wei and the celtics thanks for your
1: time anytime thanks for having me
0: Special thanks again to Justin Turpin for joining us here on the podcast. He's going to be a name you might be hearing about a lot more familiar. We'll get him on during the NBA season. Um, Great preview of the Celtics. He's basically, we basically started in the EEI field together. He was a year ahead of me. Um, He's still a little bit younger, um, but we basically had the same pathways. You know, he's on the right path. Hopefully I'm getting there soon, but... Justin Turpin's been a great source since I've started at EEI. So special thanks to Turp on that. And now we wrap up the show as we always do with our LOL moment of the week. And I think we have to go back to Kansas city and uh, Arrowhead stadium, because once again, Taylor Swift is making noise in the NFL and in pop culture. And before we talk about the moment or whatever, I just got to say like as a regular football fan, I think we're all pretty much satisfied. Um, We've got our fair share of Taylor Swift. We don't need her jammed down our throat now, uh, considering she had never been to like a football game or anything like that. Now she's dating Travis Kelsey or whatever. Um, So I think the perfect amount of coverage is right where it should be. We don't need it jammed down our throat every single day, but just a couple of shots here and there is totally fine. And I know there are some Swifties right now who are listening, be like, we need her all the time, all the time. No, we don't. We just need her for this one segment. And this is actually the first time or one of the first times I would say we brought Taylor Swift up in a in a large sense of it because her LOL moment comes uh at the expense of Brittany Mahomes, uh, Patrick Mahomes' wife. Apparently, uh, Taylor Swift is so now entrenched in Travis Kelsey and the rest of the Kansas City Chiefs that in the luxury box, she's now got handshakes uh with. Brittany mahomes take a look at the video here they created their own little uh hand slap they got a uh a hip bump and now they've got a chest bump involved so i would say taylor swift is initiating herself pretty well with uh kansas city and their fans the fact that you know she's got handshakes with patrick mahomes wife uh she's you know having great conversation with uh travis kelsey's mom um And even the report has come out that they've bought their own uh, mansion or uh, a place or wherever uh, so they can have more privacy, which, I mean, good for them. Good for them. And the fact they're leaving Saturday Night Live and that kind of stuff. I mean, Taylor Swift has done uh, pretty well ingratiating herself into the uh, football category and the football culture. Um, The fact that she's, I mean, when you watch her, I mean, not saying that I've you know followed her entire career but there have been you know some instances of her at award shows just having fun and i think her being at this kind of stuff and being loose and having fun um it it is kind of nice to see it's nice to see and the fact that she goes to the extremes of wanting to do chest bumps you know i i don't know this because i know nothing about women (laughs) um I'm not sure that women chest bump with each other. Um, So the fact that Swift is having uh, this amount of fun, you know, is kind of nice, and it was kind of funny to see um, her get involved with. I let's be honest, I'm not a fan of the Mahomes family. I'm a fan of Patrick Mahomes, but Brittany Jackson, I don't like them at all, at all. But. She seems to be having a good time with them. And until we hear otherwise, you know, we're just going to have to keep living with the fact that Taylor Swift will be a part of uh, the NFL family because they will continue to show her as much as they can. Um, And this moment was kind of funny because I mean, the fact that she can choreograph a handshake like that after only uh, maybe a handful of weeks. I mean, I'm sure she's known about like the rules of football. She's not like totally completely in the dark. Like she knows when, there's a touchdown out there for Travis Kelsey and um, stuff like that. But this moment in particular was, was kind of funny um, just to see her choreograph this, this handshake. I mean, that's better than some of the handshakes some of the players do uh, within themselves, both athlete, athletes do. So uh, Taylor Swift for getting yourself into football so much that you created your own handshake with Brittany Mahomes you have landed yourself into this week's LOL moment of the week. And just like that, episode 91 is complete. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in wherever you're getting this podcast via Spotify or Apple. Or if you're watching us on YouTube, uh, thanks for tuning in there as well. You can follow me personally on Twitter, uh, Joe Braverman, PVP, on Instagram and Facebook at Joe Braverman. Of course, follow this podcast as well on Facebook and Instagram. Just search Let Me Speak podcast. Once again, thank you for tuning in and we will see you next week for episode 92 of Let Me Speak. Later!